Hello. Welcome to the Healing of Emotional Wounds podcast series. This is Attuning to the Deep Psyche. My name is Alan Mulhan. In the last podcast, I outlined four points of focus for therapists. Firstly, to attune to the deep psyche of the client. Secondly, to help locate and express wounds as fully as possible. Thirdly, to help clarify, challenge, and where possible, clear out the negativity within the psyche of the client. And fourthly, to stimulate natural healing energy, and where required, contribute their own to aid this process within the client. Let us examine these in more detail. Firstly, to be attuned to the deep psyche, the therapist must not only be empathic, but also be intuitively linked. A feeling of being understood, appreciated, or seen is a very moving experience for anyone. Most therapists will have experience of this simple, intuitive process and will recognise that it usually depends not only on knowledge, but rather on an intense concentration of a feeling intuitive type in which the therapist is linked to the latent, unexpressed potential of the client, as in good parenting. Close friends or lovers who are intensely connected can do the same. A similar process of interconnectedness and intuitive attunement is possible in psychotherapy work, especially in stage 3 outlined above. Remember our four stages. Containment and comprehension, firstly. Secondly, analysis. Thirdly, the attunement to the deep psyche. And fourthly, integration. To illustrate, the client descends into her inner world, perhaps contacting emotional pain in a part of her body. The therapist is also on an inner journey. The client is, above all, entering her own personal world. So she is largely concentrated upon herself. Yet she has also some awareness of the therapist, who is, as it were, accompanying her on the journey. The therapist might be experienced like a warm father or mother figure, or simply as a close companion. She is aware of this help, encouragement and anchor. For the journey to work well, there has to be trust and warmth. Any negative transferences should hopefully have been dealt with. Otherwise, there arise defences in the inner journey of the client, blocking access to the deep psyche. Notice at this point, and again to illustrate the developing interconnectedness, the relationship of the client to the therapist is a model of the relationship to the deeper self. If one is blocked, so is the other. The therapist is therefore at best an archetype of the self for the client, since the therapist encourages its access. While the therapist may constellate this archetype in the client, this will later be relinquished to become a more human projection as the client incorporates it for herself. At this stage, to talk of boundaries between the client and therapist is not really an accurate description of what is happening, for, while it is true, both are still seated in their chairs. The session lasts for a certain amount of time. Fees are paid, and so on. In the inner world, profound changes are happening, which are facilitating healing. The intermingling of the psyches of client and analyst proceeds at the pace of the integration of the client's own psyche. These dynamics are not easy to describe and can sound completely fanciful even to many psychologists. 
This may have been one reason why Jung gave an elaborate, abstruse and metaphysical metaphor in an attempt to describe this process. Alchemy. Quote, it may seem strange to the reader that, to throw light on the transference, I should turn to something so apparently remote as alchemical symbolism. Unquote. In the illustrations to the Rosarium, a medieval alchemical text, Jung views it as revealing the workings of the unconscious in general. And this is a far greater question than just the transference, he says. The conjunctio oppositorum in the guise of Sol and Luna, the royal brother-sister or mother-son pair, occupies, says Jung, such an important place in alchemy that sometimes the entire process takes the form of the hieros gamos and its mystic consequences. That's the sacred marriage. Everything that the doctor discovers and experiences, he continues, when analysing the unconscious of his patient, coincides in the most remarkable way with the contents of these pictures. Again, Collected Works, Volume 16. The asymmetry of the process has been suggested. The client descends into her inner world, with the therapist a companion on the journey. The therapist is not, however, on his personal journey or descent. He has entered into his inner world, so as to activate his inner awareness on behalf of the client. At this point, there is also a synergy, a combining of energy, awareness, concentration and belief, providing the fuel for the journey of the client. Also, this feeling of oneness in the relationship facilitates the sense of wholeness in the psyche of the client. This replicates the ideal parent-child relationship, where the dual unity of mother and child facilitates the feeling of wholeness in the infant. Since many clients seek healing because of the damage precisely in these early relationships, there has to be some healing of this wound during the experience of therapy. This healing lies in the relationship between client and therapist, as well as within the psyche of the client. In the deep psyche, these two areas, the intra-psychic, that is, within one's own psyche, and the inter-psychic, that is, between different psyches, these two areas, the intra- and the inter-psychic, although separate on the surface, are co-evolving and interdependent. The progress in the client's inner world is interlinked with the evolving relationship between therapist and client. Our second focus, helping locate and express the emotional wounds. Expressing pain and overcoming negative feelings are fundamental to all psychotherapy. However, sometimes wounds won't undergo catharsis or heal by normal methods. Damage may be too deep or healing may be blocked. One may visualise wounds stored in certain parts of the psyche. Think of an emotional pain or wound that seems to have disappeared, but resurfaces later and feels very fresh. It has been stored in the unconscious, only to surface again when one is weak, poorly defended, or when a certain trigger for it occurs. Psychotherapy will naturally examine such wounds lying in the unconscious and bring them to consciousness. This very act of awareness generates some healing and even control. However, in the type of work described here, 
somewhat different methods are tried since the techniques just outlined, expression and catharsis, may have limited results. The client may say, well, I understand this pain and suffering, but I still suffer it. Location of the emotional wound is very useful for deeper work. The way outlined here is to locate it in the body, since in my experience, all emotion is experienced there. Locating it inside of one's mind, thinking about it, has its limits. It's fine to begin with, but it won't get healed there. Experiencing the location of the wound inside a particular part of the body, or imaginal body, better termed, is more fruitful because it directs the awareness of the sufferer to the deep psyche and away from the conscious mind. It is important to encourage the expression of the emotion in this wound directly. In this process, the special awareness generated is capable of receiving information directly from the wound, which begins to express itself powerfully. In the case study in a previous podcast of Michael, as soon as he was able to contact and express authentically his emotional pain, the child lost in a strange land, he was able to develop and progress, remember his dream of saving the boy, and the change in his life. Third focus, dealing with negativity. This is vital for progress. This mobilisation of inner awareness and the descent may also provide information about the attitude of the client to her own wound and suffering. The inner awareness receives information already existing in the deep psyche. It is not deducing information or diagnosing it, an analytic style belonging to normal awareness. It might receive information that the subject is self-pitying and adopts a victim attitude which is totally unhelpful to the healing process. Or how the subject resists the healing process within herself. Deeper processes in the psyche are concerned with the client's own negative attitude towards herself. It is not necessarily the analyst alone who points to the client's negativity. It is the deep psyche of the client also. The attitude of clients to their own wounds and suffering is therefore critical. As an extreme case, consider those in total denial of their wounds or vulnerability. Such an attitude is not helpful for the healing process, since not even the first stage of achieving awareness can be reached. Clearly, an attitude of denial maintains the condition. More difficult to see, however, is even in cases of trauma, which have been externally inflicted when the client was too young to have any conceivable involvement with its infliction, when all clinical and even common sense says she was a victim, nevertheless, the inner attitude and defences, erected unconsciously at an early age, become a key part of the later suffering. These defences are self-erected, and it is only the subject who can dismantle them. Fourthly, stimulating healing energy. The classic psychoanalytic stance is one of distance for the therapist, the anonymous analyst who interprets from afar. Within this position, some psychotherapists barely speak or express emotion. The context of this is a classical medical model. The role of the analyst is mainly interpretive, 
and there is a considerable gulf between therapist and client, or doctor and patient. However, the model outlined here has a different dynamic. The healing awareness and energy of the therapist play a vital role in the healing of the client. This applies to all aspects of this energy. The empathy, the concentrated intuition, the ability to listen for years if necessary, the strength of the alliance, the belief, enthusiasm, dedication and commitment of the therapist. It is of great importance therapists have undergone considerable healing themselves, so they know the terrain. They do not have to know the exact situation or to have passed through an identical path. However, if they have not experienced healing themselves, they cannot be convinced of its probability in their clients, can they? It is important their healing energy is strong, and therefore it is important that the therapist in their previous therapy or ongoing therapy has or is experienced healing in themselves. They have to know of it and feel it. From this viewpoint, the therapist's role goes far beyond knowledge or interpretation and extends into personal experience of healing and from there to the relationship to the client. Therapists can stimulate the healing energy of clients in various ways. Their belief and commitment to it are obviously important. They are alert to signs of it, which clients might not recognise or value. They may spot it and then bring it to attention. They remember it on the client's behalf. They help look for it in the darkness of complexes and suffering. They encourage clients to go the extra distance. They have knowledge of despair and darkness and can see beyond them, see how necessary it is that clients pass through these stages, including dark times, sometimes even with the therapist personally. Clients may doubt the therapist's ability or belief and may have negative projections. The therapist's knowledge of the dynamics of therapy helps to withstand these attacks. Therapists should know ways of helping to dismantle the power and dominance of the ego, hopefully having done it many times themselves. Therapists, to speak metaphorically, have experience of working with darkness and light. They are therefore able to help the client work through the darkness and encourage the light of awareness and healing to emerge naturally within them. This healing energy of the therapist is a connection to the collective unconscious, the archetypal realm lying within each individual. The relationship between therapist and client in the later stages of therapy, when spiritual and transformative potential is possible, may be termed an intersubjective field. This concept is distinct from those of transference and countertransference. It is designed to explain a key feature of the work outlined here and describes the field shared by the therapist and client at a deep level. On the one hand, the therapist's energy, faith and goodwill are picked up by the client who can thus bond positively, frequently, though not always, projecting onto the therapist healthy expectations. In particular, the archetype of the healer can be projected, and this facilitates the emergence within clients 
of their own healing energies. If the therapist does not match these projections, this may lead to disappointment and a failure of the therapy. The healing core of the therapist is therefore vital for the journey of clients who are undertaking what could be the most important inner journey of their lives, not with a textbook, but with a real person. It is the therapist's inner quality, the connection to the self, that really matters to their journey. There will be times when the therapist runs out of ideas and has to dig deep into the self to meet the client. These moments are often key in the therapy where the self of the therapist meets the hopes of the client. At these times, it is no use hiding behind anonymity or interpreting negative transferences. One has to engage with the fuller being, the stage one has personally reached towards one's own integration of the deep psyche and consciousness. It necessarily involves irrational, symbolic functions, possibly in opposition to the conscious formulations of the ego. I would like to give you an example of a point in therapy where these features emerge. This is a case study of Maria, and I call it the giving up of control. And I'd like you to follow the internal dynamics of this process and see how the hopes, expectations, positive and negative transferences of the client and the, the deep self of the therapist are required for a meeting to make some change possible. A 35-year-old medical doctor, Maria, had been in therapy with me for three years. Her early childhood had been analysed. Her character structure was well known. She was exceptionally intelligent, gifted and sensitive, yet very unhappy. She was also extremely rational. Her mind controlled everything, including most of the therapy. One night she had the strangest dream that in deepest Mongolia there was a shaman who held a doll in his hand. The doll was herself, her spirit image as it were. The shaman held the doll closer to the fire and looked into her eyes. Maria woke up in great anxiety, lest this doll be lost. Her last memory was of dogs around the campfire snarling. In session, Maria began herself to analyse the dream. Let's see, she pondered as she sat back on the sofa. What tools can we use to understand this dream? Ah yes, the doll must be myself as a baby, and the shaman is my mother who made me suffer so much. And yes, the dogs, mm, they must be my rage at my mother and father for treating me in the way they did. Maria looked at me with painful triumph. Now this was a perfectly respectable interpretation and fully in line with the stories she told of her family life. Intellectually, I might have agreed with her, except I couldn't. I felt a protest rise from the centre of my chest. So we sat there in silence for a few minutes, allowing the ingredients to stew, letting the tension build. Me? 
considering her interpretation on the one hand, but at the same time listening to something within, building up a head of steam. Her, waiting in painful tension, trying to appear normal. Me, trying to access how I felt about her assuming control of the interpretation. Her, feeling compelled to interpret and control, yet feeling ultimately unhappy with the outcome. Me, deciding there was something deeper than the control issue between us, and that I needed to listen to this rising force which reacted to the content of her interpretation. She, wondering if interpretation was all there was to it. Me, deciding to let this force express itself somehow. But how? She, tense and waiting, me letting this energy from my chest rise into my throat and express itself quietly. So, a doll, a shaman and a fire, I say slowly. She realises I am not accepting her interpretation. Her body relaxes and she sinks within herself. She says spontaneously, Do you think I should go to Mongolia? A few comments on this dynamic. This part of the session was a turning point in her therapy. Up to this point, Maria was not given to spontaneous, irrational decisions that could disrupt her life and medical career. She was now ready to give up control, but this required trusting to the deeper psyche, outside of the ego, and this depended on her relationship with me. In turn, depending upon my relationship to the self. As a matter of fact, she did go to Mongolia. She actually did meet a shaman doctor. She actually returned and changed her life and her attitude towards her unconscious. She came to believe in the reality of her inner world, how it could be expressed in symbols, and how the control by her conscious mind had been damaging her. She found a source of new creativity which was emotional and intuitive. She became a wiser and more mature person and moved to the next stage of her life. She became the fuller human being that lay within her evolving potential. We didn't do much interpretation of this dream in the session or indeed afterwards. It was like a gift one brings into the light rarely. Too much interpretation might diminish it. It could do its work best by working irrationally in an organic manner within her psyche. Since her tendencies had up to this point been towards the rational and the controlling, it was important for her development that these be displaced in order for her irrational energies to emerge. The interpretation of a dream would come about naturally without being forced. At this turning point of the session, there were many responses available to me, which textbook training or my inner supervisor might suggest. Certainly a classic interpretation, provided by her as it happened, could have been developed fully in line with Freudian principles, 
which so often interpret dreams as the elaboration of family dynamics, especially in the early years. Alternatively, I could have concentrated upon the transference and counter-transference situation, a method espoused by Kleinians and Freudians alike, for whom such dynamics constitute the crux of the therapeutic interaction and interpretive field. I could have pointed to her need to control the session and her therapist by interpreting the material herself. I could have used my counter-transference, that is, my feeling of being controlled by her, to explore this dynamic in more detail. How she feels controlled by her parents. How she, in turn, tries to control them. How she tries to control her boyfriend. How she hates to lose control, but frequently does. Any number of fruitful pathways could have flowed from this by my following a transference, counter-transference, interpretive line. All these techniques are important parts of the portfolio of the therapist. However, at this point, I reacted differently because of a dream. Something so irrational, symbolic, provocative and powerful came from her dream, erupting into the session and within me. At this point, both client and therapist are in a suspended tension, strangely and powerfully connected in their deeper psyche. An intersubjectiveness, outside of their normal consciousness, which on the surface is following the normal rules of conduct. Underneath, however, things are not normal at all. A spirit, an energy, a strange message. Powerful emotions have come from the client's dream world. She tries to interpret and control them, but she also tries to control her therapist and her session. But this message from the unconscious is pushing its way to the surface, bubbling, insistent, strange and compelling. It seemed it had been given to me by the unconscious of the client to try to express its real meaning. After all, if it was left to her, then it would be interpreted intellectually and repressed, its vital energy stolen, and it would sink again below the surface of consciousness to snarl and be angry, to convert into a feeling of fiery rage, then helplessness and depression. The doll, her lost but potential real self, needed to be put into the fire of transformation by the energy of her deep psyche the shamanic energy. This is somebody on the verge of transformation who needed the therapist to meet her with more than just interpretation and intellect, but with deeper aspects of the psyche, especially those connected with healing and transformative energies. Her emergent self lay in her vast, hidden, up to now, largely empty unconscious, her in a Mongolian.